Perhaps we're familiar with these words. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Well, maybe you watched a few episodes of Star Trek. We know that as we look around, there are an untold number of people who are interested in places other than this Earth. It's not uncommon to find people asking if there is life on other planets, or should we go out and check for life in other worlds? There are people who may want to one day live on another planet, and when we look at sci-fi shows, they have been extremely popular for a long, long time. The first Star Wars movie came out, believe it or not, in 1977. That was a long time ago, but there are still people who still like to go back and watch the first Star Wars. We find people that are fascinated with, pe uh, with possible life on a place other than Earth, and yet that's not, as we look at Scripture, the picture that we get from the Bible. That's not how we see God acting, and that's not how we see the devil acting. I said that we're going to, on Sunday night, start looking at some information from the book of Zechariah. Tonight I want to get before Zechariah chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. In Zechariah 1 and verse 8, the prophet says, I saw in the night, and behold a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees. Now that would have been a shrub that you would still find in Palestine, over in the um, gullies and so forth. He said, he stood among the myrtle trees, and there were in the bottom, and behind him, there were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these are. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom Jehovah has sent to walk to and fro the earth. And now verse 11. And they answered the angel of Jehovah that stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Now, you may remember from one of our introductory studies that history tells us, and you had that back in the book of Daniel, that we have four big powers that Daniel talked about, and they also relate to the New Testament era. We have Babylon, and then, of course, we have history telling us that after Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, came into uh, power. And then after the Medo-Persia Medo Empire, we have the Greeks, and then finally the Romans come into power about 65 years before Jesus enters into the world. In that earlier study, we talked about how, and this is also in the Old Testament, God's people, the southern section of Israel, they were taken into Babylonian captivity. And they were kept in captivity, just as Jeremiah had prophesied, for 70 years. The captivity ends, and God's people, the southern section of Israel, they began to return to Jerusalem little by little. One of the things that God's people were supposed to do when they went back to Jerusalem was build the temple, rebuild the temple. It had been destroyed. Haggai has a hand in this, but so does Zechariah. They're working in basically the same time period. Zechariah, as he's trying to motivate people, as he's trying to encourage people, as he's trying to stimulate, stimulate people to go back and uh, complete the temple, as the book opens, he sees this picture. He gets this vision of some men on horses. And these men, they're going out over all the earth. It might be like a military reconnaissance mission. These are some horsemen who are on some type of patrol. As you look at Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 11, we are introduced to a character that we have seen before. This is the angel of Jehovah. In some older translations, like the King James Version, you will not see the word Jehovah, but you will see LORD in all capital letters. This is the angel of the Lord. This is the angel of Jehovah. As we've seen from previous studies, when you see this particular quote-unquote angel, it is not an angel as far as a created being. The angel of Jehovah, the angel of uh, uh, the Lord, is a reference to Jesus. Now, knowing that, why would Jesus be on one of these horses 
And why would Jesus be pictured as going throughout all the earth on some kind of patrol? Well, the short answer to that is God wanted his people to know that the earth was at peace. It was a way of saying God knows exactly what's taking place on the earth and it's time to rebuild the temple. There's no turmoil. There are no difficulties. This is something that can be done. Now, you may have noticed that reference to the myrtle trees. Uh, that would be a way of describing the Jewish people. Zechariah assures God's people, the report comes back and given to the Jews, that the earth is at peace. Well, that was an important message because as you go back and you look at the Persians, you find that things had not always been peaceful. When you read about uh, Darius, the um, leader of the Persians, who is described in the opening chapter of this book, to secure his throne, he had to fight 19 battles. That was not a very peaceful time. And then he had to deal with 23 different uprisings in various provinces. So the Jews, they were familiar with uprisings. They were familiar with turmoil as far as the Persians. But now they get this report from God's prophet that everything is peaceful. Everything is okay. Everything is at rest. Now, as you look at this, and this is kind of where I'm headed tonight, you look at this heavenly patrol. Out of all the places that it could have gone in the universe, where does it go? It goes to the earth. It goes to check out life on the earth. Now, if you're reading this on your own and you never tried to connect anything with it, you might not think too much about it. You might think, well, let's just continue on and get into chapter two. But there are some things that we can connect with it. Let's go back since we have Genesis chapter one on the slide and think about that first verse in the Bible. Do you remember how that begins? God, what did he do? God created the heavens and the earth. Well, we all know how that goes. Do you remember what comes in Genesis chapter one and verse two? What follows? Genesis chapter one and verse two says, and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 and verse 1, Genesis 1, 2, and then God continues to talk about the earth. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. I don't know if you've ever studied it. But if you will check out Genesis chapter 1 in your Bible and count up the number of times you find the word earth in Genesis chapter 1, you should find about 20 times, at least it's 20 times in the ASV. If you then go into Genesis chapter 2 and you count up the number of times that you find earth in that second chapter of Genesis, you should find about six times. So roughly 25 times in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 22 in totality, it is the earth. It is the earth. It is the earth. It is the earth. God created all things, Genesis 1 verse 1, but our attention is drawn back to the earth. It's almost like there is excessive attention drawn to the earth in Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2. Well, we've got all that attention in Genesis 1 and 2. We've now got all this attention focused on the earth in Zechariah chapter 1. And you might be scratching your head and thinking a little bit, well, hmm, does the Bible continue to put attention on the earth? Maybe you remember a Genesis text, which is sometimes referred to as Jacob's ladder. That's in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 28 and verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder. Well, what was the ladder set up at? Set up on the earth, dealing with the earth again. And the top of it reached where? The top of it reached heaven. And what's taking place on that ladder? It's not a decorative ladder. And angels, or behold angels, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now imagine, if you will, a ladder which could ascend from earth to heaven. Why doesn't Genesis chapter 28 and verse 12 picture that ladder as going from earth to Neptune? Or earth to Saturn? Or earth to Mars? Or earth to Mercury? Why say that there is a ladder and why say that this ladder extends from earth to heaven? Well, someone says, do you think that that's a literal ladder? No, I do not believe that that is any more literal than Jesus riding a, a horse in Zechariah chapter 1. God expects us to use a little sense when it comes to interpreting his word, and sometimes we have passages like this that are figurative. But this ladder is another affirmation 
of the fact that a lot of non-Christians or people who are not that knowledgeable about the Bible, they're really interested in life in some other distant place, and they really are not so focused on earth. When you look at God, though, he is focused on the earth. He spends a lot of time in his word talking about the earth. In the first book of the Bible, we are repeatedly pointed to the earth. Let's go back a little bit. In Psalm 147 and verse 4, the Bible talks about the stars. Depending on your translation, the point's going to be worded a little differently, but in versions like the New American Standard Translation, the Bible says that God has named all the stars. Now, can you imagine that? We can't count, at least at this time, all the stars that exist. But God says, I know how many stars there are. I have actually named every single star, and I can call them all by name. That is amazing. And yet, as amazing, as as magnificent as that is, God has names for all the stars. He knows exactly how many there are. He knows where they are. His attention is still really focused where? The Bible says it is centered on this earth. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 12. Remember the information about Noah? Well, the Bible says, and God saw the earth, not looking at the heavens. He saw the earth, and behold, all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. A few chapters back, uh, we go to Genesis chapter 18, and again, we again see deity paying attention to the earth. Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, here you have some information about Sodom and the surrounding areas. And Jehovah said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will do what? I will go down now, go down where? Let's go down to the earth and see whether they have done together according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Again, some people look at that and say, well, God didn't know. Of course he knew. It is simply a way of saying that God was focused on the earth. Now, if I were listening to this, I'd be thinking, okay, you got a lot of verses in the Old Testament, and they certainly do seem to pick, uh, present the picture that is being proposed. But we live under the New Testament, and I'm wondering, if I were listening to this, I'm wondering if the picture that we get from the Old Testament is also found in the New. Well, that would be a great question to ask. This evening, I'm going to use some paraphrases to help emphasize some things. So let's look at one of those paraphrases. It comes from Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is true, that's no big surprise, and will not put away from him the memory of your work and of your love for his name and the help which you gave and still give to the saints. Does Hebrews 6 and verse 10, even though it doesn't specifically use the word earth, does it tell us that God is especially interested in the things taking place on this earth? He is interested in those things. Hebrews 6.10 says the things that you do for the people of God, God takes notice of those things. Sure, he's aware of what's happening with the stars and the planets, all that stuff, but he is especially interested in what takes place as far as helping his people. If an inquisitive person heard this information, they might say, well, that's that's fascinating. That gives us a little footing in the New Testament, but can we go a little further? What perhaps about the smallest acts? Hebrews 6.10 says God's not going to forget about the works that you have done, but what if a work is small? What if someone does something that is, is just almost not worthy of mentioning? Will God take note of that? That would be a great question. And Jesus happened to answer that question in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42. It's a familiar text. And Jesus said, whosoever, doesn't matter who it is, whosoever shall give to drink one of these little ones, a cup of cold water only, in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Have you ever noticed how many details are packed into this single verse? God says he notices something as small as giving a drink to someone. That's what we saw from Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, at least from a general perspective. You have some details here. God says, I take notice of who the thirsty person is. God says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, 
I see how much a person is given. God, according to Jesus, says heaven pays, att- pays attention to the temperature of what someone gives. It is a cold drink. And God even pays attention to what someone is given. And that is the beverage. In this case, water. Out of all the things in the universe that God could say, I pay attention to. Out of all the things in the universe, God could say, hey, I'm interested in the stars, I'm interested in these other planets, and certainly he is. But God specifically highlights something like this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42. The people that are often not regarded well or highly by the world, God says, I'm zeroed in, if you will, on helping those folks in a most insignificant way. If you back up just a little bit in Matthew chapter 10, you find something else. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus asks this question. He said, are not two sparrows? Are not two of these birds sold for a penny? Now that was cheap in our time and certainly their time. And not one of them shall fall to the ground without the Father. There are certainly noteworthy activities that take place in space. In fact, some of them are in the news. You see what happens sometimes with special lights. The news will say there's going to be a great light show tonight. They may talk about crashes in the heavens, all kinds of interesting things as far as collisions. But when was the last time you saw a news story about the death of a robin? When was the last time you read someone uh, talk about the death of two sparrows? We don't talk about those kinds of things. They're insignificant. They don't matter to us. This is another example of how God is really focused in on the things of this earth. And if you were to go down to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He even pays attention to that. He has not only that knowledge, no difficulty there as far as God, but he specifically highlights that fact. Now, if God is so interested in our world, and angels appear to be as well, because we saw that from that ladder back there in the book of Genesis, then as I start thinking through this, my mind naturally goes to the opposite side of the fence. If God and the angels are really focused on the world, then I'm wondering, what about the devil? What about the devil's helpers? Are they also really focused on this world, or are they interested in other planets, different parts of the universe? Let's take a look at another paraphrase. Job 1 and verse 7. The Lord, or God, asked Satan, where have you come from? Here's the devil's answer. Satan answered the Lord from wandering where? All over the earth. There's the earth again. Now, this question is like some of the others that we've looked at. This question was not designed to, it was not designed to elicit information. God knew precisely where the devil had been. Sometimes you find in the Bible questions are asked not to get information, but to start a conversation. And that's what we have here. The devil is a liar. Jesus said that in John chapter 8. On this occasion, though, it does not seem that the devil is lying. It does seem like God asks him this question and the devil gives an honest answer. Long before men circled the globe, Job 1 and verse 7 seems to make it very clear that Satan had already made that trip, perhaps multiple times. In addition to what we have in Job 1 and verse 7, we can point to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. In Ephesians 2, 2, the devil is described as the prince of the powers of the year. Now, there's some things about that expression that we'll probably never fully understand in this life. But one of the things that comes to my mind when Jesus describes through Paul that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, that at least in some respects seems to indicate a little bit about the devil's ability to travel. Ephesians 2.2, along with Job 1 and verse 7, give us a pretty good picture as far as the devil having some significant capabilities as far as travel. Yet, with the devil's abilities, where does he spend his time? Where does he want to check out? He wants to travel around the earth. We see that in a number of different passages. Uh, we can offer one more and we'll do that in just a little bit. 
Now, as we think about what we're talking about here, Jesus picks up on this theme too, uh, not really from the devil himself, but some of the devil's helpers. In Matthew 12 and verse 43, Jesus said, but the unclean spirit, when he goes out of the man, Jesus said that spirit passes through the waterless places, seeking rest and finding it not. When we look at the New Testament, we find that demons are not allowed to work like they did in the first century era. Before the Lord broke their power with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, they were able to do what we find in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. And what do we see as far as the devil or the demon? It's not interested in finding some other planet. It's not interested in hanging out somewhere else in the universe. It's interested in finding a place on this earth. That's not all. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, we have some additional information. When we think about Satan, Revelation chapter 12, verse 8 says that he was thrown down. He was cast down. In Revelation 12 and verse 9, John says that the devil is a deceiver. But then John tells us where the devil wants to deceive. He wants to lead people astray, not on some other planet, but he wants to deceive people on the earth. Satan is not described as some type of intergalactic traveler. He's not described as someone who is looking forward to existence out there in outer space. But he is interested, just as God, in the earth, because this is ground zero. This is where it's happening, so to speak. Man was made in the image of God. God is um, his Lord, and man is the pinnacle of that creation. God is therefore interested in man, and so is the devil. Peter picks up on this point in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He compares the devil to a lion. And he describes the devil as going about, again, on the earth, looking for people that he might devour. The devil's not interested in limiting his work to a single continent or a single country. It is a worldwide effort. God and the devil are interested in this earth and what's taking place on it every single day. Paul made this point quite clear in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He says our wrestling, living the Christian life, there are some struggles. He said that struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against some other person or even some government. But he said it is against the principalities, it is against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There was an old saying in baseball, I'm not sure it originated there, but keep your eye on the ball. Ever hear that expression? Keep your eye on the ball. Um, other planets are fascinating, and they can be some great things to study. Checking out the stars is amazing. I did that in uh, some previous years. Wanting to see the beautiful sights on this world, that is not wrong. But if we lose sight of the fact that the greatest thing in the universe for us is this earth and this spiritual battle that is taking place, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we take our eye off the ball. Other people also take their eye off the ball. The most magnificent thing in the world, aside from heaven itself, is the spiritual war or battle that's taking place in this country. In First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said, But the Spirit says expressly that in later times some shall fall away from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Where do those demons want to work? Where do those demons want to function? It's not some distant planet. It's here. It's on the earth. We read about a messenger of Satan, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Where did that messenger go? No reference ever to some kind of messenger going off to a distant place in the universe. But that messenger wanted to come to the earth and it wanted to do some bad things to Paul. The devil is an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. Does he want to dance up there in the skies and put on a performance? No. He's interested in promoting those seducing doctrines of demons. Out of all the places in the universe, heaven excluded, but out of all the places that God has created, where would he want to focus his attention? Where does he focus his attention? As we've seen from the Old Testament and the New, it is the earth. Now, this was an incredible thought for someone a long time ago. 
And we know that because Psalm 8 was written. It was not just the psalmist. It was the Hebrew writer, whoever that person was. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6, this is going to be another paraphrase. The Hebrew writer goes back to Hebrews chapter 8 and he pulls that quotation from the 8th chapter of Hebrews. And here's the quotation. It says in scripture, that would be Psalm 8, what is man? What is woman? And God, why do you bother with him? God, why take a second look their way? Out of all the things in the universe, and again, bear in mind, 2,000 years ago or about 3,000 years ago, as far as Psalm 8, they could look up in the heavens and they could see all kinds of constellations, all kinds of amazing things up there. And God, out of all the things that you have made, why on earth would you look at man? Why on earth would you give males and females a second look? We could add to that. Why, God, oh why, would you send your son? Why would the devil be so interested in us? Back in the book of Second Chronicles, we don't have it on the slide, but Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, moving down just a little bit more. For the eyes of Jehovah run where? They run to and fro throughout where? The whole earth. Why? To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect. Some dream of going into outer space. And there was a man back in 2021, about a year and a half ago, by the name of William Shatner. Shatner finally got the chance to go into space. I pulled up the quote that is repeatedly, uh, repeatedly associated with him after he landed, and here it is. He said, when I came out of the spaceship, I was crying, just sobbing. And I thought, why am I crying? What's going on? I'm in grief. Why am I grieving? I'm grieving about the world because I now know so much about what's happening. If you look at the context of the quote, it's not about what we're talking about tonight. It's about climate change. It's about bad things that are taking place on this world. How sad for Mr. Shatner. He's lived at least 91 years on this life. He spent so much time thinking about space. He sent so many people a lot of joy to the programming. And yet, at the advanced age of 90, he's missed it. And he's missed it 100%. The most important thing that we're ever going to be exposed to in this life is truly this life. A lot of people wonder about aliens and a lot of other stuff. But both God and the devil, their activities tell us that it is this life which counts. It is this life which deserves our daily attention. And it is because of that great spiritual battle that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Don't, if you're a Christian, ever take your eye off the ball. God says, don't do that. The devil says, do, do that. It's up to us. If you're someone who has not yet put your eye on the ball, you can do that. But there's a specified way to do that. Faith, repentance, confession, baptism, faithful Christian living. And that will allow you, as we see in the Hebrew letter, the Bible talks about keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. Don't be distracted by the other stuff. Living for God today, tomorrow, and every day. And if we do that, one day, as Peter promises in Second Peter chapter 3, this old world, this old earth, our world's going to be burned up. And there will be a new place for people, heaven, hell, for eternity. Are you focused on the right place? Can we help you focus on the right place? And can we do that now as we stand and sing?